0: Reading from Psalms 3, it's page 384 in your church Bible. A Psalm of David, when he fled from his son, Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Algie Cole. I am a member of the St. Andrew's Church at uh, Jim Joy. Um, yeah, so it's a great privilege to be here today. I just need to check whether all the things that Lucas asked me to do is actually pressed and all that. Right, okay. Um, so as we begin, let me pray. Father God, Thank you for the book of Psalms, and thank you that we can come before you to lay down our heavy hearts and burdens from our daily lives, amen. Right, so what can keep us awake at night? Could it be work pressure, public speaking, or the dreaded dental appointment tomorrow? These are some of the things that can keep us awake. To put it very simply, Today's psalm is about how to get a good night's sleep, and you can pick this theme up in verse 5. I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. More incredibly, this is a psalm for good night's sleep, when our greatest fear is beginning to come true. In other words, this psalm is all about peace in the midst of trouble, in the midst of great trouble. The danger with these types of passages is to immediately think we are David. We ought to learn how to pray like him during hard times and expect God to immediately deliver us from all our troubles. It's easy, isn't it, to think this psalm speaks directly to my situations, especially when we are going through suffering. But that's not how we should relate to it. Who is it who is saying, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? In verse 1. And who is it who is saying, in verse 4, to the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. And do you really want God to strike all your enemies on the jaw to my difficult boss at work or to the person who just cut in front of me in the MTR? It's clear from the introduction that This is one of David's psalms. And the context in which he wrote this was that he was fleeing from his son Absalom. As most of you would know, David is not some Joe block off the street. He was God's anointed king. You would have read in Psalm 2 about this king, whom he set on his holy hill to rule over the nations. David was that king which is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And it is the voice of Jesus we are hearing here in this psalm. You and I are not that king. And in some ways, David's experience as the anointed king is very different to us. So in order to understand this psalm, we have to understand the two distinct roles that David represents. Role number one, David, the faithful servant. He is an example for us. He is, like us, a sinner who trusts in God. As we're listening on this psalm, we can learn things about how to relate to God and ways to deal with our fears and troubles. Rule number two, David as God's anointed king. He's got a unique role in God's salvation plan. His life is unlike ours. And his job is to point us to the ultimate king, the Psalm 2 king, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let's dig into this wonderful psalm and to my first point, Great Trouble, verses 1 and 2. Great Trouble. A psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom, O Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. This is probably one of the lowest points in David's life. He was fleeing from his son, Absalom. You can find the background in 2 Samuel chapter 15. His son, Absalom, was out to kill him by mounting a cool to overthrow his kingdom. David faces losing everything, including his palace and his throne. Tragically, these troubles were partly of his own doing. He hadn't been a good father to Absalom, and he was reaping the consequences of his adultery with Bathsheba. David is on the run, and he is in great trouble. Many people are out there hunting him down. Absalom has been undermining David's authority and his kingship. By now, most of the Jews have turned over and supported Absalom. Verse 2 tells us those people wanted more than just to kill David. They, They don't even want God to deliver him. You can imagine, can't you, how David must have felt when he tries to fall asleep at night. On one hand, he could be thinking, will I survive the night? Will my very own son kill me tonight? And on the other hand, The sin that I committed, will that end my relationship with God? Has God really forgiven me? Even though this is unique to David, but I'm sure these two things are the biggest fear of everyone. The wearing sound as the PET scan begins. The surgical procedure I am about to receive. Will I wake up tomorrow and see my friends and family for years to come? What about that memory, the guilt of something sinful, shameful, that we committed weeks or months ago? How do I deal with this guilt? Will my sins be forgiven? All these fears makes verse 5 even more staggering. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Peace in the midst of trouble. Isn't this something we all long for? How on earth can David get there? Get to verse 5. I struggle just to keep just to sleep when I know I, I have to present at a conference the next day. So we're going to look at how David finds peace. And to my second point, great truths, verses three and four. Great truths. You see, David answers great trouble with great truths. I normally tell people that I learned most of my English in pubs in the UK, and most people there would typically reserve the word but towards the end of the sentence, when especially when they have something negative or bad to say. So here's, a, here's an example of how but is used. In an annual review at work, my boss would typically, typically say something like, thanks for your hard work, LG, you have contributed to this project or that piece of work. But, as you know, it has been a tough year for the company. That's actually the cue to say to me that I'm not getting a pay rise. Now let's look at verses 3 and 4 and see how David uses the word but. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on, on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. When David uses the word but, it's like the psalm has suddenly done a 180 degrees turn. In great trouble, David answers back with great truths about his God. And these truths David can confidently declare because he is God's anointed king. And he's the one whom God has made specific promises to. So let's look at each truth in turn. The first one. You are a shield around me. I still remember when the first airbag was introduced in a car. It was only on the steering wheel just to prevent the driver's head smashing into it should you have a car accident. But now you can spec your car up with sidebags, windows bags, and even passenger bags. The imagery here is that David is completely protected by God. An all round 24 7 protection. I don't know how 2019 has been for you, and we don't know what's in store for us in 2020. But even if it's a car crash, keep reminding ourselves that the Lord is our shield. The second truth you bestow glory to me. I don't think it is glorifying if your kingdom is falling apart in front of your own eyes and you are on the run barefooted. Yet David is able to say, Lord, you bestow glory to me. One commentator quite helpfully points out that David at this juncture was looking beyond his situation, which he knows can be transient, and looking beyond his worldly success or worldly success, which can be fickle, and that he was honoured to have served God. And the last truth you are the one who lifts up my head. This is another way to say, God, will, you will lift my head high in triumph and in victory. So in the midst of trouble, when physical threat comes knocking, when spiritual threat comes knocking, David answers back with great truth. I mentioned earlier that David has two roles to play. So let's turn to the other role, David, the faithful servant, a sinner just like you and I, and see what we can learn from David and how he deals with troubles. Back in the UK for a few years, I kept getting random calls to say that I was involved in a car accident. That wasn't my fault. And not surprisingly, the person over the phone offered to help me to claim lots of money back from the insurer. After many calls like this, I thought it would be fun to, turn, to tell them that I actually had an accident and that I was traveling between the moon and Mars. Funny enough, the immediate reaction from the person was to ask, were there any passengers? I told them I had Buzz Lightyear and Elsa with me. The other person quickly realized what had happened. As most of you know, they are all cartoon characters. Initially, that was fun to do, but it actually wasted quite a lot of time. So I decided to just tell them the truth the next time that I don't have a car. I know this is a very silly example, but the point here is that the nature of the conversation has changed when I speak the truth. In some ways, this is what David is doing. He is catching trouble of God by speaking the truth. The same is true with troubles in our Christians' lives. You can't get rid of troubles as we are all living in a broken world. but you can catch trouble of God by speaking the truth. You don't have to let trouble do all the talking here when you have the word of God that we can say or to remind ourselves with. When you struggle to remain godly, Because of your boss at work, remind yourselves with some truths. Maybe death or some kind of health issues come knocking. Answer back with some truths. Or something shameful you did in the past that you feel guilty about. Answer back. You have the word of God. Now, this is easier said than done. The process to get us to verse 5 takes time. And being in Hong Kong, we all wanted a quick fix. But with so many different emotions inside us and the complex situation that we are in, there is no magic pill or silver bullet. But these truths here about our God can help us when troubles come our way. And it might even take brothers and sisters to walk alongside us, to speak truth to us, to help us to focus on who God really is. Life might be tough for you now, but God can be a shield around us day in, day out, as we get to know the truths about him and begin to look beyond the present situation to see how much God has shielded us. And this leads us to my third point, Great Deliverance, verses 5 to 8. Great Deliverance. I lie down and sleep. I I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. In spite of overwhelming odds, David manages to, keep, to sleep and in the midst of his trouble, David remembers God's promises that he will be delivered and his enemy will be defeated. Arise, O Lord, deliver me. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. You see, this is what deliverance looks like in a manhunt. Protection is not enough. The threats have to be eliminated. In other words, David can only be be delivered when his enemies are defeated. Back in 2 Samuel 11, through Nathan the prophet, God has already promised to deliver David as he is the anointed king. God will strike his enemies and will break their teeth. That's what the Lord did for David, and ultimately, that's what he did for the son of David, Jesus, on the cross. God defeats his enemy, the devil, our sins, and the judgment we deserve, all defeated at the cross. On the day of resurrection, God delivers Jesus from the dead, and upon Jesus' returns, all our enemies will be defeated, whether it's physical or spiritual. They will be dealt with once and for all when the Lord arises in final judgment. See how verse 8 puts it, from the Lord comes deliverance. So for those of us who are Christians, this should sound familiar as we pray so many times in our Lord's Prayer, deliver us from the evil one we can have the confidence to look to the Lord to arise and deliver us from our sins, our temptations, and our guilt within. For those of us who are not yet Christians, if you long for a day where your guilt and sins can be dealt with and there will be no more fear of death, I urge you to check out the Christian claims. Why not join the Christianity Explore course starting next week? So friends, how do we apply these psalms to ourselves? I already alluded to it earlier that the application is not if you have trouble in your life, you need to pray like David and trust like David and the Lord will deliver you from all troubles. What's helpful here is verse 8. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. You see, the application for us, when in the midst of trouble, is to look to the anointed king for hope. In other words, when the king is saved, the people are blessed. When the king is victorious, the people shared in the victory. When the king is raised from the dead, his people are raised from the dead. The melodic line here of of this psalm is, Here is a king in great trouble, a king who keeps trusting God can deliver, a king who knows once he's delivered, blessing flow to his people. And this is ultimately fulfilled in the deliverance of Jesus Christ at the cross. So as Christians, we can rejoice with him in that for the new year and have the assurance that he will deliver us at the end. And in our everyday lives, we look to the Lord to arise and overcome this broken and unjust world, to be a shield around us and to to deliver us from our enemies. This is a wonderful hope. And it comes through the King's deliverance. And it's a hope we all share in Christ. Horatio Safford, has this hope as he wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, back in 1873, under the most difficult and tragic circumstance, right after he has lost all four of his daughters on board the Loch Urn whilst crossing the Atlantic Ocean. Sadly, being a Christian doesn't mean no trouble now. You might be going through bereavement, broken relationships, fighting a depression, under pressure from work, or spiritual attacks. Of course, God can deliver us out of all this trouble right now, but often he might choose to deliver us in our trouble where pain and suffering and injustice continues. And in those circumstances, Psalm 3 reminds us that God is a shield around us to sustain us as we journey on until Jesus returns. There is no physical threat greater than death, no spiritual threat greater than my sins and our rebellion against God. And if we are in Christ, Jesus has already paid the price for us. These great troubles that have caused so many sleepless nights have been dealt with once and for all by Jesus on the cross. Amen. So as we finish, let me pray for us. Oh Lord, thank you for reminding us these truths about you, that you are a shield around us, and when trouble comes knocking, We can always look to you to arise and to deliver us in Christ when we feel hopeless and helpless. Father God, we ask that you will continue to sustain us as we journey through 2020 with you. In your Son's name, Amen.